Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. Notre Dame has returned from an electric 45-24 to victory at NC State that had its share of big plays and uncomfortable moments for the Irish. Notre Dame should have an easier time Saturday hosting Central Michigan, but there's important progress to be made heading into the following weekend's big game against number six, Ohio State. A quarter of the way into this regular season, we wanted to take a temperature check on Notre Dame's offensive line, so we invited our good pal Bob Morton, a former Notre Dame offensive lineman himself, back onto the podcast. Bob, thanks for joining us. Tyler, Eric, good to see you guys again. So, Bob, I'm going to put you on the spot from the start with a question that we've been asked ourselves. Through three games, what letter grade would you give Notre Dame's offensive line? <laughs> um, I, I mean, is it you for undecided? No. Um, <laughs> you know what? I, I I have to go, like, for myself, I'm going to kind of go in the B range um, because it has not been perfect by any stretch of the imagination, mm-hmm. right? We knew we had a question mark specifically um on the 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 two guards kind of making up the interior of that offensive line and there have been moments that um those those question marks have been exclamation points for me but at the same time um when when you look at the overall body of work they've done some things really really well on the inside and outside of that line and now it's just a matter of doing it consistently well and uh, I say undecided. We've got two games, obviously, with Navy and um, with Tennessee State that were really big mismatches in terms of personnel. Um, but I can't overstate how difficult going into a 3-3-5 defense is. And, uh, you know, it felt like it was a, there were some concerning moments, and yet we put up 45 points and won by 21. So, so there's a lot more good stuff to be excited about than there is concerning stuff to be worried about. Okay, so the thing that I get, Bob, a lot is people that want to either rotate guards or they want to think about what would be the upside of switching the guards three games into the season. And what I want to ask you is what would be the downside to making position switches at this point once you've invested in these guys for three games? Yeah, I think you need to look at like a a spectrum of mistakes, right? Because as you move along in the season, you're not just looking for potential upside. You're looking at is the play consistent enough to eliminate mistakes? So your best offensive lineman is going to have some type of game one mistake during game one, whether it's a a false start, whether it's a hold, whether it's a missed assignment, there's going to be something that they do game one that they won't do game six or game 12. The problem with rotating linemen in, while it might provide some upside in certain areas, is that all of a sudden game four, you're looking at someone else's game one mistakes. Um, And then more importantly, you get to game five, which is a, a major game. You've got game one or game two mistakes because somebody just hasn't ironed it all out in the course of a game. And so um, we can feel like there are lackluster moments at certain positions, but it's far better to have them have the game experience and be in game five and six than it is to have somebody else in their game one. So I guess, again, offensive line play to me is very nuanced and I'm glad that we have somebody like you to lean into uh, but 
the I think the average fan would say, well, why can't they iron out those mistakes in practice? And I guess it's because game situations are so different in the continuity of all five of them playing together. Yeah, you know, in practice, uh, even when you're going against an amazing scout team, which I'm just going to assume that they're going against a scout team that gives you as fast a look as you can get from someone who's just learned that defense in that week, um, the game speed is completely different. It's the same thing as a defense trying to get ready for a triple option with Navy. You can get as good a look as you want to, but come game time, you've you've got to be right 100% of the time. So this past week, the 3-3-5, um, which is such a difficult defense because you've got the cloud of five DBs, but they find ways to bring pressure and create um, misalignments with three linebackers blitzing from all different angles. Um, there was one play that that I saw, I believe it was a running play. We had the, the, the center and left guard who were comboing the down lineman to a linebacker. And the linebacker was blitzing to the outside of the guard so quick that as our left guard Coogan stepped into the down lineman, he already missed the linebacker who was blitzing. Things happen in such a, a split second when it comes to game time, when the defense has been practicing that for months, that if you make one small assignment misstep, you're already behind and you just don't see that speed in practice. That's why you can't get everything ironed out until you're actually in the throes of the game. Bob, Given that information, what what did, would you say is like a fair grace period for Notre Dame's offensive line to get those issues ironed out with with new personnel in place? And what what's the moment you have to reach to say, well, maybe maybe we need to change things up here? Yeah. So uh, again, I don't know what the practice tape looks like. I think right. that tells a lot of things as well. There's a reason why the personnel we have in there is in there. What I will say, however, is I again, don't feel super concerned um, as an offensive lineman because we put up 45 against the 3-3-5 against a defense that doesn't give up 30. Right. Um, I think this next week, if you have assignment mistakes by those guys inside, then I would expect in the second, third, fourth quarter, maybe to see some other guys getting some opportunities in case the game gets away from those guards the following week. You want to make sure you have a contingency. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't force see making a drastic change now before Ohio State so long as we see a traditional defense against Central Michigan and we bully the ball the way we we want to against a team like that. Bob, I don't know if this is what may be happening, but I think something that could happen with younger players and experienced players is maybe they're thinking too much. Um, In what ways do you think that would show up on the field if if someone like Pat Coogan or Rocco Spindler were thinking too much because they don't have that experience to rely on? Yeah, so I think um, the way that you would see it, and, and I think um, you see it in in the second level missed assignments is what I would say. Ball snapped, you're supposed to block the down lineman, and you leave the down lineman to go block somebody else. That's a that's a first level missed assignment. That's just you you weren't thinking, kid, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're working a combo block and you're trying to work up to a lineman and the center and guard block the down lineman and then both leave the lineman to get to the linebacker, which happened against Tennessee State, mm-hmm. that's a second level missed assignment. When both guys go like face mask into the breastplate 
to block that down lineman and nobody gets the linebacker, that's a second level missed assignment. You're you're too like you're thinking about like what every step of the play is going to look like, and you're so engrossed in it that you're not you're not open to seeing what's happening around you. And so I think that could be some of it. I think you know pressing could be a little bit of it because ultimately it might look bad on tape, but the lineman is only a half or one step behind. And that's how fast these defenses move. So I think that um, when we see a less exotic look, it'll be really interesting to see how solid our front five looks getting ready in this, dare I say, tune-up game for Ohio State. Okay, dare you say it. So I'm going <laughs> to dare you with back-to-back questions on Sam Hartman. The first one is, this footwork is new to him having played in the slow mesh offense and always being in the gun, you know, now he's under center some and, and the footwork's different. So do you see him maybe being contributing to the pressure sometimes just maybe with his footwork that he's going to work out over time? Do you see that? You know, um, I, I haven't thought too much about that. I will say when I see kind of the slow mesh handoffs that we do, I don't think that's when Notre Dame's at our strength running the ball. And so I think that's probably something we've done because he's very used to it. Um, that doesn't really suit specifically an Audric Estime in the backfield. We want him downhill. Audric right. Estime is the kind of back that should be in a power eye formation more times than not. Um, and so I think he's at his best when Hartman is under center. Um, I um, I don't, when he's under center, I don't think that affects the offensive line in terms of uh, forcing them to press a little bit more. Um, but for whatever reason, we have not gotten a lot of movement off the ball, which is what you need in the slow mesh read. And we open holes in the line of scrimmage very well, but we're not really changing the line of scrimmage like you saw like a Florida State do against LSU. And when you have that slow read, you really want to move the line forward so that you can read that one player that he's got to have his eyes on. So I would like to see us either dominate the line to incorporate that mesh zone or not bring that mesh zone in as early in the game as we have. Okay. And then my follow-up is you've seen Jimmy Clausen and Brady Quinn up close and personal. Do you think Sam Hartman could end up being better than both of them or either uh, wow that's a so that's a big question um <laughs> i you know I, I'll, I'll be honest like this is just me right like i hold brady quinn in a, in a in a different regard than i do jimmy clausen just because i spent all the time with him and i know how much of the offense ran through the conversations of you know me john sullivan and brady before every play um and, and i don't know you know what carried over in the years after me um the thing that made Brady special is like he came on in the middle of a what ended up being a five and seven season and gave us a spark of hope for the future. Um, and then brought that future, you know, of nine and three and 10 and three, his last two years, Sam Hartman is not coming in with promise of a future. He's giving you an opportunity right now. And, and I think in terms of, can he be as good? I think the question is how do we end the season? Right. If we find you know a way to win, um, multiple big games that are left on our schedule and uh, we play in some important games in December and January. Uh, listen, I don't care if, if he hands the ball off, you know, 
65 times in the game. If he's able to bring home some hardware, I will go ahead and put him up there with anybody you want to put, you know, his name next to. Uh, he does some special things, though. It's been a long time since I've like watched a quarterback carry himself. Um, what I get to see kind of behind the scenes, but also on the field, the poise he has in the pocket. It's been a long time since I've felt really calm when we've had the ball going into half or towards the end of a game. And he has a, a sense of calmness about him that reminds me a lot of, of the 10 that I played with, of, of Brady. And so um, in that regard, I would say, yeah, he has all the tools to be listed up there with those guys. Bob, Notre Dame used an unbalanced line at times against NC State, most notably on the ADR touchdown run by Audrick Estime. But a handful of other times, I think I had them with six carries for 112 yards using the unbalanced line and that. Every single time it was Joe Alt moving from left tackle, lining up outside of Blake Fisher at right tackle. What do you what do you like about Notre Dame doing that? And do you think that is something that they could continue to utilize moving forward? Or is that a, a one-game fix for maybe an issue that Notre Dame was trying to solve against that NC State defense? So I, I think it's both and, Tyler. I think that um, what I liked about it, and what I liked about it was was pretty big. So I'm going to go pretty big, right? Sure. I think that we lost a really good play designer when we lost Tommy Reese as an offensive coordinator. I mean, people can get mad at me all they want to, but in terms of designing plays before we the game, that action. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of designing plays before the game, like he had some incredible looks that he developed that that put points on the board specifically early in games. I feel like what he lacked was just the in-game adjustment piece. Um, when you look at the adjustments our defense made, you know, after halftime the past couple of years compared to the adjustments our offense made, I felt like the offense was lagging behind after halftime. Um, I don't know what kind of play designer Jared Parker is, but in terms of in-game adjustments, ooh, buddy, that we, we've got an upgraded offensive coordinator, in my opinion. And um, so whether moving Joe Alt to, you know, pal up with uh, Blake Fisher was a pregame plan or an in-game adjustment. It was an answer to a problem that NC State gave us. So here's the picture of the 3-3-5 defense. It's so chaotic that it tries to make the offense react to what the defense is doing. And if it can do that, it slows down the offense and allows them to gain an advantage by having the defensive backs on the field, the extra defensive back. When you put Joe Alt next to Blake Fisher, you are telling the defense, no matter what kind of chaos you bring, this is where we're going to run the ball. This is the new center of the offense. Now you've got to try and stop it. And that 80-yard touchdown, they ran right like right off of Joe Alton, Blake Fisher, and they brought a guard from the left side over there, and there was nothing NC State could do. So it was Notre Dame's way of establishing, we are not going to react. We are going to take care of, of our job, and you have to react to us. Now, I could see moving Joe Alt around a little bit like the Lions have done Panay Sewell from time to time. I think it's great to put Joe Alt on the right side and then potentially pull him to the left in counter action because he's so good and mobile and you keep the strong edge of Blake Fisher on the right side. Um, and that gives a little bit of a different look. So I would expect to see three to five plays a game. I mean, take the 80 yard run away. It was five plays for 30 yards. That's a pretty good clip compared to the minus 11 yards we started the game with. So I think it's something that you'll see as a, as a bit of a nuanced change of pace thing in our offense. Okay, Bob, before I 
uh, ask my next question. I'm going to give you um, some feedback. If you ever decide you want to be a color commentator on TV or radio, that's the clip to put on your audition. <laughs> that was, I was, uh, I was a big fan there. That was. I love it. I love it. I've told people, you know, I've lost like 50 pounds in the past, I think seven, eight months. And uh, I'm just trying to like lose all the weight that cameras would put back on me. Uh, if I ever want to get on TV again, Eric, you and I have a history uh, working with Pete Byrne over on uh, WSBT years ago. So uh, yeah, we'll see if any, any phone calls start coming my way. <laughs> Well, we've also have something else in common. I hit the fifty pound mark today of lost weight since April. So up. let's go. There's gonna be Maybe less of us to push around. That's why I'm getting <laughs> knocked over by these hugs. That's what that's what it is. <laughs> so um so my question to you though is so you go against pass rushes as a offensive lineman you did in your career and saw all kinds of different looks. So when you look at Notre Dame's defensive line and what they're doing with their linebackers how would you rate the pass rush at this point mm, that's a really good question um you know i'm i'm gonna go i'm gonna go in that b range again i'm gonna say b minus just because you know i i think i heard you know somebody on notre dame's defense uh, today or yesterday talk about how obviously we want to get home and we want to uh, we want to get sacks and those sacks aren't really coming around, but at the same time, we want to disrupt passes, which is something that we didn't do in years past. And we have seen a pretty good clip of doing that this year. Um, so as well as I would grade out the front seven through three games in terms of specifically pass rushing, there's not a lot about Notre Dame's pass rush that scares me right now. And I think that we're going to need to see that step up in the next couple of weeks and in really the rest of the season. We're going to need to see some changes to get to the quarterback with our down linemen um, that we haven't seen yet. So I'm going to say B minus because I'm really excited about a lot of things, but I think it's closer to average than it is great. So you mentioned maybe looking ahead to Ohio State. Um, what sort of confidence do you have in Notre Dame's chances against Ohio State uh, a little more than a week and a half out? So, so this is a little bit about me. I tend to always be really skeptical to the point of being pessimistic about Notre Dame's chances <laughs> so that if Notre Dame loses, I can be like, I told you so <laughs> that's an ego thing. But if Notre Dame wins, like I'm happy to be wrong in, in the case that Notre Dame wins. That being said, I feel, um, I, I feel really good about the team that we have on the field. I feel really good about the matchup we have against Ohio state. I feel really good about where we're really good. Um, the number one thing we have to stop at Ohio State is the big playability of Marvin Harrison. And I think that we're built to be able to contain him better than other teams in the country, depending on how you define the word contain. Hmm. Um, and you're going to have a quarterback that um, has looked okay against, you know, D1 competition. And we have a defense that has been very solid and played for the most part until this past week, clean football. And I think that that's a really hard team to beat when you have an offense that can, that can make big plays. We don't need to be a team that's going to, you know, win a shootout. We're not trying to be like air raid, Texas tech. Um, we're, we're trying to win the overall game. And I think our defense comes up with enough plays against a team like that to allow our offense to go score 30 or 40 points. And it puts us in a pretty good position. Um, we can talk specifics if you want to, but ultimately, 
I feel more positive going into a big game against Ohio State in a couple weeks than I have about Notre Dame's chances going into a big game in a long time. Whoa, okay. <laughs> well, Bob, um, my last question for you is catch us up on what you're doing. I know you're doing something on Facebook that is, yeah. I think, noteworthy. And, and then yeah. what you're doing besides your Facebook, your budding Facebook career. Yeah, no, listen, the, the, the Facebook thing was was an answer to a lot of questions. You know, I work in development uh, here at Notre Dame, and I've, I've got a lot of people who connect with the Notre Dame family in my office who don't know the ins and outs of football. And so I had several people say, hey, we'd love a couple pointers at the end of every game. And so it started as just kind of an email thread that uh, after every game, I would just send an email internally to the office and say, hey, here's my three-point stance on, on Notre Dame's game this past week. Uh, and uh, here are a couple notes that you can share for next week. And then I had a friend say, you should just go ahead and post that on social media. Well, I'm a little bit of an old soul, right? So I don't have all the new trendy social medias and whatnot. <laughs> and so I just started posting it on Facebook. It's, you know, nothing that is uh, published anywhere. Um, and so if you come and read my three points dance on Facebook, you're going to see it next to pictures of my family and, and whatnot. But maybe it's uh, it's something that eventually grows to, to have a, a location reserved for it on the internet. But uh, that's been it, man. Just, I go out there and and um, try and help Notre Dame succeed in its mission of being a force for good in the world. And uh, I like talking about football with folks when I do it, too. Okay, so if they get bored with that and they want to look at pictures of your family, how long have you been married and how old are your kids? Yeah, so uh, my wife, Heather, uh, we got married in 2010. So we've been married for 13 years and we've got four kids, an 11-year-old son, an eight-year-old daughter, and then a, a six and three-year-old sons. So we wow. are uh, we are tired a lot of the time. We're running around all different directions. Uh, it sounds like you're one short of an offensive line. You know what? No, but we're not going for an offensive line. That's, you know what? There's no. That's it. I'll, I'll let my family be D lineman in that case. It's the only way I'll root for D line is if uh, if I if, if I have to have another kid to be an O lineman, it's not going to happen. Uh, all right, Bob, well, we appreciate you uh, joining us like always and your tremendous insight to offensive line play and football in general. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you soon. Guys, love it as always. Look forward to seeing you guys soon. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Inside Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from LDL Go Irish on the Inside Lounge. Is Jack Kaiser more Drew Tranquil or Greer Martini? They are tied together by their ability to have great games against Navy, and their PFF grades are somewhat similar. I thought Jack Kaiser played well again versus NC State. I thought he played well against NC State, too. I think he's played well in every game this year. And I think where he ties into both Drew Tranquil and Greer Martini is I think they were underappreciated earlier in their careers and I mean, maybe a Drew case, Drew's case playing for Brian Van Gorder as a safety, maybe justifiably so, although he was injured. I would say from a comp standpoint, he's closer to Drew Tranquil. Drew was a high school safety, played safety at Notre Dame, and then moved up to Rover and then played inside. So he played inside and outside linebacker. Greer was a star against triple option offenses who widened his skill set and finally was kind of given a chance and and did pretty well. I don't know how well Greer would be in the um, current Rover position, how Notre Dame plays it, 
um, as far as a coverage guy. So I, I would say Kaiser to Tranquil is the better comp. Yeah, in terms of like physicality and sort of uh, athletic traits, I think he's more similar to Drew Tranquil than Greer Martini. Um, I think, I think it's it's putting him in a little bit too high of a of a category with Drew Tranquil in terms of production. Drew Tranquil was a much more productive football player, and maybe that's just because of the opportunities that he got. Um, maybe J- Jack Kaiser could have been that productive if he were if they they had found a better fit for him in Notre Dame's defense. Um, for and for as good as Jack Kaiser has been playing, which I think he has been playing really well, I think Maris Leofau has been playing really well, and so that is um, created a conundrum for Notre Dame. I do think that if JD Bertrand is unable to play against Central Michigan as he's in concussion protocol, that Jack Kaiser will be given some opportunities to play that Mike linebacker position. He did some of that against NC State. Um, so I think Jack Kaiser is going to play an important role on this team moving forward. Um, so I think in terms of physical abilities, more Drew Tranquil in terms of production, more, probably more Greer Martini. Um, but those are two very, um, successful linebackers, um, from Notre Dame's recent history to be compared to for Jack Kaiser. All right. Next question is from Dr. Andy Irish on the entire lounge. Can we get NC State linebacker number 11, Peyton Wilson, in the transfer portal next year. (laughs) Only if you disguise him as somebody else because he'll be out of eligibility. This is his (laughs) sixth year of college. And Notre Dame tried to recruit him out of high school. but And I think he's really impressive. I, I would take him in a heartbeat. However, I do think even though Notre Dame is likely going to be young, all three of their grad senior linebackers have sixth years possibly i don't think any of them will take that sixth year but think about who they have next year jalen sneed Jaden osbury drake bowen likely nolan ziegler preston zinner um you have uh kingston viliamu asa bodie cahoon and teddy rezak i think they're going to be pretty good at linebacker even though they're going to be much younger yeah, I do think there's a bright future ahead for Notre Dame's linebackers. Certainly, the now is very impressive for Peyton Wilson, um, and we'll see what he, what sort of NFL opportunities he gets after the season. He was he was very impressive against Notre Dame, fast. I know there's, there's a debate on the inside lounge about how fast he is, given that he tracked down Tobias Merriweather, and whether that was an impressive play by Peyton Wilson or an unimpressive play by Tobias Merriweather. Um, as I added in that conversation, uh, Bruce Feldman of the Athletic had reported that Peyton Wilson ran a four four nine forty um and made his freaks list at number twenty seven overall going into the season. So a very talented and athletic linebacker that has dealt with some injuries throughout his career. Maybe a little bit Drew Tranquil-ish in terms of his his career at NC State compared to Drew Tranquil's career at Notre Dame, considering we just talked about him. All right, next question is from Bob Oxnard on the Insider Lounge. Do you think Gabriel Rubio would play this weekend if our opponent were Ohio State? I don't, and and I wouldn't push him. I think he's getting pretty close. He may not even play against Ohio State next week. That's still to be determined. You know, he's missed a pretty good chunk of the season now. Um, if you can get him back, obviously, that would be great. But uh, I don't think they're holding him out just because it's Central Michigan. I think they're holding him out because they want him to be 100% when he does get back on the field. Yeah, I so I have expertise in the area of arthroscopic knee surgeries. I've had four uh, wow. arthroscopic knee surgeries uh, with uh, meniscus tears 
um, from my uh, high school football playing and college football playing career. Um, so the important part is getting the rehab done and making sure that you're physically ready to be back. Um, if you're not, you could put yourself in a position to um, have some more soreness and deal with a lot of swelling and then, and then maybe even tear your meniscus again. So I think you make sure that he's back to full strength. They have all kinds of ways to measure that. Um, it, it, both the strength and flexibility, those are the important parts in, in getting back with um, with a knee injury like that. Um, so it's a matter of whether or not he's physically ready to go rather than the opponent. I don't know that that it's not a pain tolerant sort of thing. It's a is are you healthy enough to do that? And I don't I don't know exactly where he's at. My guess is he's not ready. Otherwise, they would play him against Central Michigan because it's not like if you're if you're actually physically capable of going, there's no point in necessarily protecting him. If he if he's ready to go, he's ready to go. Um, but he, according to Marcus Freeman, he is not this week. So um, I don't think that is opponent dependent. Next question is from at Charles W. Wolf. It's an overreaction to be bullish on the defense or did weather conditions play a big factor in NC State's struggles? Also, are penalties con- a concern going forward or do you see this as a one-off? Well, I think when the defense was at its best, it was actually when it was sunny. It was when, sunny, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, at the end of the third quarter and early in the fourth quarter where they held uh, on a turnover in, in the red zone, they held to a field goal attempt and, you know, NC State misses it, then interception, interception, turnover on downs. They're by no ways a finished product, but I think, uh, I like the snapshot where they are now. I like where they're going. So no, I would be encouraged by them. As far as the penalties, I mean, yeah, I would say it's a one-off. I mean, it's it's been extremes. They almost had zero penalties in the opener against Navy. They had very few the first two weeks. They were up among the nation's leader. And then all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. They were all kind of different situations and stuff. So I wouldn't be too terribly... Um, shaken by that unless it becomes a trend which at this point it's too early for that to be so i say one off yeah i agree on the penalties issue and i agree on the defensive issue or defensive question um i don't think it was very weather related um i do think nc state lacked the passing game that it needed to really challenge notre dame in the ways that would have made more problems for for the irish defense um and so the, that helped Notre Dame, but Notre Dame certainly went out and made the plays and did what it needed to do to slow down Brendan Armstrong um, and limit the wide receivers in that NC State offense. So I think uh, I think I think the performance of that of the Notre Dame defense against NC State sort of stands on its own and and doesn't really have much to do with the the weather uh, situation that that unfolded at Carter Finley Stadium. Next question we have is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. The offensive line seems to struggle some this past weekend. How would you grade the line overall? And can you comment on the individual play of each of the starters and what they need to improve prior to the Ohio State game? So, Marie, I peeked at the questions before we interviewed Bob Morton. So (laughs) we peppered him with some of your questions, and hopefully that carries more weight to what we say. Um, and, and Tyler, I shouldn't speak for Tyler because Tyler did a film review. Um, I just watched the game live, so I have the least standing here. But what I will say is I, I would give them B to B minus range for a grade. And then um, 
I would rate them with Joe Alt at the at the front of the line there, Rocco Spindler at the back of the line in this particular game. I think um, Joe Alt does everything pretty well. He wasn't perfect in this game, but he was the highest rated in the pro football focus grades. They had to recalibrate their grades originally. Rocco Spindler had a pretty good grade, but I I think what happened, and Tyler and I were talking about this, was that the unbalanced line threw them in terms of who they were grading, and Pat Coogan ended up with a much better grade, for instance, than Rocco Spindler. I would say that Zeke Carell did a pretty good job directing traffic um given that 335 look sam hartman had some experience against it zeke was able to point out some things but you know again for a difficult front i thought you know they they did the job but they need to get better as they get into some tough challenges including against ohio state team that's going to be very athletic that's loaded with future NFL defensive linemen. Yeah, I don't I don't want to give away too much of my film analysis, which hasn't been published on insideindiesports.com for our subscribers yet. Um, so I, I won't go into as much detail here as I as I do there. Um then that's specific to the NC State game. Overall, for this line, I, I have him at a B minus. Uh Joe Alt, I would give an A. Blake Fisher is I think second best there at a B. I think the issue there is that I think you need Blake Fisher to be at an A for this offensive line or closer to an A um, or maybe an A minus range. Um, I mean, you could even put an A plus for Joel if, if we're being truly honest. Um, Joel, it's been, been exactly what you expect. He's had some, some miscues here or there, but uh, he's, he's been all the all American that you would hope he would, he could be um, next. I have Pat Coogan, which has been a bit of a surprise to me. Um, I, I've liked for the most part what Pat Coogan has done. Um, I have him at a B minus. I think uh, then next I would have Rocco Spindler or no, excuse me, Zeke Carell at a C plus and then Rocco Spindler at a C. Um, I don't really have mu- many coaching points to offer for Joel Halt. Um, for Blake Fisher, I just think he needs to bring it with consistency more frequently. I think sometimes he's there's just it seems whether it's some confusion that's going on, some miscommunication with him and Rocco Spindler. I just there, there's sometimes where he's just not moving his feet or, or playing as aggressive as I think he can. Um, I think uh, one play you could just sort of look at that first third down play that Notre Dame had where Sam Hartman fumbled, but Pat Coogan recovered it for Notre Dame. Both Blake Fisher and Rocco Spindler just got beat off the ball. They just weren't moving their feet as quick as they needed to and just got beat in one-on-one situations. Um, and on a third down, yes, NC State knows it's coming, but you have to you got to do a, a better job than that. Um, and that put Sam Hartman in a bad spot. Um, Pat Coogan, I think, can play more physically. I think he's been pretty technically sound and put him put himself in positions well. Um, but I think I want to see some more movement from him and, and, and pushing guys back some more. Um, and maybe that's just a strength thing, and maybe that's something that we're not going to get to see from him this year. Um, but I do think uh, that would be sort of a, a what I'd like to see for him to be able to maximize his potential this season going into that Ohio State game. Zeke Carell, I think he's done a good job in, in working with those two guards. He 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 just ends up on the ground too much. Um, I think even though he's continued to get stronger and bigger, I think that, that he got, does get overpowered at times. Um, and he's been put in tough situations. We've, they've faced a lot of nose guards. 
um, and a lot of different slanting and a lot of different um, things that would make it difficult for a center. Um, but I, obviously his experience and leadership, I think, is important then there. And then as for Rocco, I I think it's a little bit of everything. I think he needs to work on his technique. I think he plays with too high of a pad level sometimes. He doesn't move his feet enough. That was sort of what I was getting at when I asked Bob, how do you think it sort of manifests itself if a player is thinking too much? And I'm wondering if that is slowing down Rocco Spindler some and he's not being as aggressive as he can um, or maybe – maybe losing track of some of the technique that he needs to because he's just trying to make sure that he gets to the right guy. And then sometimes it ends up not being the right guy. I think there, there's one play that it's highlight that I'll have highlighted in my film analysis where he, he goes one direction, doesn't really do much. And then looks for another guy and doesn't, it's just like, he, so he basically ends up blocking nobody. And it's like, well, have some conviction and go block somebody, whether or not it's the right person or not. If you're blocking somebody, that's at least a, that's at least better than blocking nobody. Um, so those would be some of the points that I would sort of, highlighted out um to be obviously hyper specific um about each of the starting offensive linemen that Notre Dame is putting out there on a weekly basis all right next question is from at Murray O'Connell Dante Moore Dante Moore so far looks like the real deal minus the NIL mess if he had come to Notre Dame does Sam Hartman Murray if we had fabulous prizes you'd get one for that question that is an amazing question And it hurt my head to think about it. But here's what I came up with. Um, Dante Moore right now is number 10 in the country in pass efficiency nationally. He's one of three non-transfer quarterbacks in the top 10. Sam Hartman is number two. Caleb Williams number one. I think had Dante Moore signed with Notre Dame and been an early enrollee, that Tommy would have talked Marcus out of Sam Hartman uh, and that Sam Hartman wouldn't have come. That's my best guess on that. Yeah. Because Tommy didn't leave until February. Uh, Now, Marcus might have said, oh, fool me once. You did that last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think – I don't know that Marcus would have been comfortable enough going into the season without a grad transfer quarterback. Now, maybe – and, and honestly, like, do I think they would have had to kind of promise Dante? I don't know something, but but I mean, Marcus like, wouldn't do it. I, Tommy, right, might. but like UCLA didn't. UCLA started his first game without Dante starting. Yeah. It's not like he was the starter out there. So um, now, obviously, he's replaced <laughs> uh, UCLA and, and done a good job quickly. Um, right. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think yeah, Sam Hartman. It's, it's a hard question. I don't think I, Sam Hartman think, would have been scared of Dante Moore. Like, I don't know that. No, I don't think Sam Hartman would have been scared of Dante Moore at all. Um, no, so, no, but, but maybe then three quarterbacks would have hit the portal instead of <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so, um, it's. Two. I think it would be. It certainly wouldn't be a bad thing if Notre Dame had both of those guys on its roster. Um, so yeah. maybe that would have been the best case scenario, but I, I don't know um, if one would have necessarily impacted the other. Um, I, I still think Notre Dame would have needed to go on into that grad transfer market and, and Marcus Freeman didn't want to get burned twice and to go into a season because you have Dante Moore as a freshman, that seems pretty risky um, uh, coming off a season where he didn't meet the expectations that you didn't, that you wanted, especially at the quarterback position. Fair enough. 
All right. Next question is from Frank Sarah at Frank S E bunch of numbers. Will Andy focus more on the tight ends since they are dealing with a young wide receiver group and injuries to the receivers? Well, I think, I mean, the injuries to the receivers are guys that were pretty low on the rotation. I mean, Matt Salerno was the number seven receiver in a seven man rotation. I think they're just focusing on getting it to the open player and finding creating and finding mismatches in whatever defense they happen to be going up against in a particular week. I mean, they didn't even target the tight ends in the opener and then tight ends caught three touchdown passes and none of them were tight end one in the, or at least tight end one going into last week. <laughs> uh, um, so I think they're going to continue to spread it around. 16 different players have caught passes. Eight have caught touchdowns. I think the mayonnaise approach of spreading it around is the way that Notre Dame is going to go. Yeah, some of it is this past week against NC State was a product of they, they felt that they needed to use those tight ends in helping establish the running game, and then that obviously opens up some opportunities for those guys to be utilized in the passing game. Um, I'd like to see the tight ends used a little bit more out of the traditional spread offense. Um, I think there's room for improvements there. And, and Mitchell Evans was given a couple opportunities. I know he had one that sailed that I think Sam Hartman sailed a little bit on him. And then one that he just flat out dropped um, Holden stays with had an opportunity that he made a good catch on down the seam. Um, so, I mean, I, it, it's hard to say that they'd focus more on the tight ends than they did this past week, considering how productive Holden stays was with two touchdowns and then Davis Sherwood catching a touchdown as well. Um, and Mitchell Evans getting some opportunities. So I don't know that they're going to focus more on the tight ends. Um, and I don't know that it has anything to do with the um, injured receivers. I do think that they are developing trust as a wide receiver group where, or maybe there's some receiver or as a tight end group where maybe there's some receivers that still haven't been able to do that and perform. But I think, it's probably going to be matchup dependent. Um, but if Holden stays can prove to be that reliable, I think he becomes a really important weapon in Notre Dame's offense. All right. Our last question is from at Notre Dame expert. The three famous foods come to mind with Notre Dame football, Joe Montana, chicken soup, bye week cheeseburgers and rain delay hot dogs rank them. Well, in terms of culinary value, <laughs> I, I would go with the cheeseburgers in terms of what belongs uh, in the hierarchy of Notre Dame lore. Nothing can beat the chicken soup game. Yeah. I mean, Joe Montana had hypothermia at the start of the second half of that game. They're down 34 to 12 with 10 minutes left in the game. This is a bowl game. This is a cotton bowl game. Houston Cougars were ranked ninth. Irish were 10th, I believe. And Notre Dame comes back and wins the game with 23 fourth quarter points, wins 35-34. You can't beat that. Um, that that beats the the 80-yard run with the hot dog in his tummy, although that was pretty cool. That that gave me a lot of material for this week. The cheeseburger game, <laughs> or it wasn't even a game, it was bi-week cheeseburger. So Charlie, if you Remember, this was in the 2006 season when they had they started the season ranked number two in the preseason poll, and they had an early loss, um, and they were down around 11 or 12 at the time. And they had a bye week, and they got passed up by a team, or I'm sorry, they played 
and and won. And they got passed up by a team that had a bye week. The irony in that whole thing was the team that passed them ended up winning the national championship. It was mm. Florida. Florida jumped them and then ended up playing as the number two team in the BCS national championship game, blew out Ohio State and won the uh, championship at the end of the 2006. But I love the cheeseburger reference, and I love that you remembered that. Those those were some pretty powerful cheeseburgers then. Maybe they're not as powerful as the chicken soup, but uh, those those seemed like they they did a good job for Florida. Um, so yeah, I would do. I would go in that order that they were listed: the chicken soup, the cheeseburgers, and the rain delay hot dogs. I, Marcus Freeman even sort of downplayed it and called it like a Hollywood story. So I I don't know if he was just looking out for the nutrition staff this week to not make him seem like they were unprepared. Um, I think so because he was even asked about it in the press conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and Audric said he had a hot dog. No one asked yeah. him. I mean, he didn't like uh he didn't have to just make like we didn't just assume he had a hot dog. He didn't like, say he, I had field greens and, <laughs> and low calorie salad dressing <laughs> and a power bar. Um so yeah, whatever whatever it takes to get get uh, get the job done and uh Notre Dame certainly did that uh I, I don't know that the hot dog impacted that as much as joe walt and blake fisher making a pretty big hole for him on the right hand side on that first play uh back from the delay all right that is it for today's episode of the inside indie sports podcast if you don't already you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify google podcast and other popular podcast platforms if you like what you hear give us a star rating leave a review and share our podcast feed with your favorite weather person we're rolling through our weekly audio and video content with the Inside Indie Sports podcast uh, every Tuesday. And over on YouTube, we have Football Never Sleeps every Monday night live. Uh, place your bets every Friday before a game. And our post-game takeaways late Saturday slash early Sunday should be late Saturday this week. And maybe maybe people will need them even more because they won't be watching on Peacock. <laughs> I know uh, um, the original Peacock game, we had very uh, very big internet clicks and, and views on, on stuff because people were very invested in what was going on with trying to figure out how, what was going on without actually paying. So I'm curious to see what sort of Peacock premium subscribers um, are tuned in for this uh, central Michigan game on Saturday, but as always stick with us on inside for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. 